0: With the sports world on pause, we've teamed Greg Linelli and Eric Erlinson together for Power Lunch, an hour to talk lightning hockey, the NHL, and how you're coping with the coronavirus. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Center point headman, right to go Score!
1: Patrick Kudrow! Good afternoon. Welcome to another week of Lightning Power Play here. This is Power Lunch. I'm Eric Berlinson from lightninginsider.com alongside Greg Linnelli from Lightning Power Play Live as we've combined for Power Lunch during this pause in the NHL schedule. We still don't have a timeline on when we can hit the play button, but uh, we all anticipate at some point we might be able to do that. I hope everybody had a great weekend, had a great Easter. Thanks for listening to us again. Some good stuff on the show today we have from Sportsnet.ca, Luke Fox, uh, who had an interesting article up uh, about a week or so ago about the uh, most interesting restricted free agents heading into this offseason whenever that happens to come along. And with that, uh, I'll bring in my co-host, Greg Linelli. And, Greg, uh, how was Easter around the Linnelli household?
2: Easter was... It's about as good as it can be, E. Locked in, as we always talk about, with the youngster. It's uh, about to turn four and a six-month-old. Did a, our own little Easter egg hunt outside. So nice. had about what, 16 eggs out there and had the little basket before and went around with Gianna. So we made sure we we did that. So she had fun for about 15 minutes and then was bored. But then uh, <laughs> And then you have the rest <laughs> of the data day, fill in. That's right, <laughs> and yeah, the uh, and the next day with Easter it was fun. We did the Easter egg hunt the day before just to kind of break it up at this point, and then you know the baskets filled with um, some goodies and some some treats. So uh, Play-Doh was a big hit, and uh, that's basically what we did. Try to watch Mass online. You know, sometimes it's, uh, it's hard to do, but um, we did that and did that when the kids were in bed because that's just the attention span, as you know, e, when they're that age, it's just, it's tough. That was so long ago. I tend to forget
1: <laughs> how it was when my kids were that young. So, uh, but no, I, I I get what you're saying. I, you know, I would even see it in today's teenagers, right? Like they don't have the attention span sometimes to, to hang with stuff for too long. Uh, we certainly see plenty of that uh, quiet day around here. Uh, I was able to take a uh, Easter dinner over to my dad As we did cook a traditional sort of Easter dinner here. Of course, our kids are older, so there's no Easter egg hunts anymore. And in fact, we just threw the candy out on the kitchen table and said, Here you go, boys. And, uh, you know, with a couple of uh, Xbox gift cards and a movie for my older son. So, uh, pretty low key here yesterday as well. Uh, It was kind of a low key situation this weekend in terms of sports and the the, uh, hockey world. In particular, but uh, something I wanted to bring up with you, Greg, in in sort of reading around, and if anybody doesn't catch it, ESPN – with uh, Greg Wachinski and Emily Kaplan do a great job of sort of recapping the weekend the previous week of things that might have come up and uh, they did have a conversation with Bill Daly, NHL Deputy Commissioner, and we've talked a lot about the neutral site possibilities, um, you know, Bismarck, North Dakota, Manchester, New Hampshire, and, you know, Saskatchewan and, and all those other areas. Um, Bill Daly did come out and address that and said that they haven't put any sort of a list together, let alone narrowed down a list, but he did acknowledge that they have discussed that possibility. I thought that that was very interesting that the deputy commissioner would come out and address that almost directly and didn't deny any of that possibility.
2: That hmm. is interesting. You know, we talk about all the different scenarios. What are they working on behind the scenes? And um, that is a, uh, an interesting development that, that could be uh, something that we get into a little bit more. Uh, I'm also interested, too, e, how much some of these talks do you think will be made in some capacity to the public? Because I, I know a lot of the the main conversations are behind the scenes, but we talk about you know thinking outside the box and maybe letting people know uh, what is going on to give them an, an opportunity to prepare For what's to come, because there are a lot of different scenarios that are being thrown around neutral sites and how many teams would get into the playoffs and what it would look like that you wonder if part of the process would be leaking information here and there to the public for them to be made aware of what exactly could happen and, you know, make up their minds if if they would support it. So you're suggesting that leaks like this get put out on purpose
1: to see if people would like gauge <laughs> how they might That'll react be. to that? <laughs> that. Yeah, that. it's uh, look. I, I would imagine that once we get a clear picture, whenever that starts to emerge, um, you know, my guess is probably not till the middle of May before we even have a thought process about any of this. But I think once we get closer to that possibility and the league starts to talk about this stuff, I wouldn't be surprised if. You know, some of this information gets floated out um, on purpose. Uh, There's no doubt about it. Uh, Trial balloons, if you will. And and what I think and what would worry me a little bit if, you know, you advance this information too far out and, and like, narrow down and say, this is going to be this and this, what if people show up? What if people are outside the buildings? What if people are, you know, depending on where we're at at that point, you know, there was a a soccer game right before – You know, the world sort of went on pause, you know, a Champions League game in Paris where they played without anybody in the stands. But the crowd outside of the stadium made you think, well, what's the point here? Um, Not that, uh, you know, Grand Forks, North Dakota would be a destination for a lot of people or Manchester, New Hampshire, you know, for a lot of reasons. But I I would wonder, would that worry you if too many people said, I just want to go show up. I just want to see the players get off the
2: bus and go into a rink. I just want a glimpse of that. Um, How concerning might that be? It's a good point by you. And this is where this is another topic, not sports related, but we can tie it into it because I think it, it factors into that decision. This is where civil liberties really come into play here because now are you going to be one of those people, depending on which state you live in, where you say, nah, you guys have to stay at home and as an individual you want to make the decision because you're the individual and if your state or city doesn't have pockets of big-time coronavirus epidemics coming your way and you're willing to go out there and risk it a bit and you've taken all the precautions what if you know for a lack of a better term the police state comes out and basically starts arresting you because you're out in public who's going to put up with that so I, I think it's an interesting angle to this because we have seen some backlash down in Florida here with churches yep. that have been open. In fact, I have actually seen local government or officials are telling people to stay in. What do you do? What's In some ways, what's the point of having the event? Because if people can't enjoy themselves by going, the next best thing for some people would be to go out there maybe go to a bar and and hang out yeah. i've got to at that point the coronavirus pandemic has certainly flattened and slowed to the point where people feel it's appropriate to go out but i think you bring up a really interesting point me personally i mean hopefully we're there in the arena working it but if i'm removed from that equation e and i had the option of going outside and taking it all in. I don't like crowds too much anymore. It's because I'm, I'm getting older. Not as old as you, but I'm getting older. So I probably <laughs> wouldn't venture out. But that's probably more because, again, I don't like crowds. If I'm younger, I probably wouldn't have a, a problem going out there and, and just getting out.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's interesting. And then, and then you go back to some of the thought process. I've seen plenty of people come across – You know, in in the possibility of return to sports, and this certainly came up with the uh, baseball proposal in Arizona, if it's not safe for all of us, it shouldn't be safe for any of us. And that's where you come into this as well. So as much as we want sports to come back, as much as we want that entertainment, as much as, you know, the players and the leagues and everybody else wants to have that back, at what point, you know, does it have to be safe? Will it ever be safe? for everybody at that point and you know those are some of the things I think that we're going to have to deal with uh, on the other side of this whenever it happens to come out. Now in in speaking about Major League Baseball sort of along the same lines did you see the one sort of the radical thought process of um, basically realigning the divisions for this year based on spring training locations so you could have a Division say, with the Tampa Bay Rays and the Minnesota Twins because they train in Fort Myers, uh, the Red Sox, or something like that, based on geography in their state. So you would have an Arizona league and a Florida league, and they would be grouped by geographics so that they would still have their own facility work out in and play a major league baseball season that way so that's kind of along the same lines as this too we know that those stadiums the spring training sites don't usually hold more than eight nine thousand uh at the most um so i mean that might be the first test subject when we get there to see how this is going to work will people show up will they try and get in the stadium even if it only seats six or seven thousand
2: well and and that so wait run that scenario by me again so you'd have basically a neutral site for a bunch of teams Well, neutral
1: site, neutral site, in the sense that um, everything would take place either in Florida or Arizona. You have the Cactus League, you have the Grapefruit League, and the Grapefruit League in Florida would be their division would be geographical. And then you'd have the western part of Florida would be in another division. You know, the teams would train in West Palm Mm -hmm. Beach and Port St. Lucie and that. And the same thing in Arizona. So they would still have their home facilities to work out in and play games with those spring training sites. Or you do have three domed stadiums in this scenario as well, Tropicana Field being one of them, uh, Hard Rock Stadium down in Miami, um, or whatever, I I think, whatever it's called, where the Marlins play. And then you have... um, chase field out in Arizona. So you still have three major league facilities that you could utilize as well.
2: See, if you end up going to something like that, you know, first you have to figure out logistically, does that make sense? But if you're going to have, you know, multiple fans and multiple teams playing in an area, you're going to have people that travel, I would think. And now you're just talking about a lot of different people congregating to one area. So for me, if you do something like that, that tells me you think the the coronavirus is under control and you're okay with having that many people around one another. Now, whether people do that, E, I think that's going to be the interesting part. I think it's we have to look for a couple of things. One, the league going to something like that and opening it up and probably not allowing fans to... Partake in the game, but if you end up having a bunch of games in one location to make it a little bit easier, I think logically you're telling us that you think it's pretty safe out there for people to interact. So I think that'll be interesting. But I also think, too, the second part of that is as a fan, how are you feeling about that? Would you be inclined to travel to see your team play in a scenario like that? And I think, would you be in favor if you can't go into the arena? Watching things from outside, whether it's a big screen TV or whether it's, you know, a scenario where you're at the bar and you're watching games. Because, you know, businesses will love that, particularly bars, if yeah. they can get that type of traction. Again, the question becomes, what would fans do in that instance? And really, what would those establishments do in terms of, you know, do you have six feet in between tables? Are you you breaking it up at the bar where... You know, you leave a seat in between you and somebody else to social distance. I've got to think if you open it up back up, you're probably looking at it where um, you're going to let the people decide what they want to do.
1: Yeah, because then, you know, you talk about people congregating at bars. Well, if they're okay to congregate at bars, why would they not be able to congregate inside the stadium? That's, you know, there's there's the balance there. In terms of that, and, and one of the other things coming out of the conversation that ESPN had with uh, Bill Daly over the weekend is I think Carolina was the first team to publicly talk about this, and we've mentioned this before, sectioning off certain areas of the arena so you have social distance inside an arena. That's a, I know that's something that Don Waddell. Talked about the other day, the general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes. Like, would you be okay if, in Amalie Arena, which seats 19,000, they were limiting it to 7,000, and you had to be spaced out? How would you feel about that? How would that work? How would that look? Who gets the tickets? Does that mean the ticket prices soar because the demand's going to be a little bit different uh, as well? So, um, I mean, what what did, thinking about that sort of an idea if it's spaced out inside the arena?
2: It's a good question. I, We I, I, you know we talk about this new normal. I, I don't know how people are going to react. I, again, I, I will go back to this. I think at some point as a country, we are going to have to weigh the risk and the reward of dealing with a virus like this, that probably there's no vaccine for another six to eight months. Not to say that somebody can't expedite probably the process. Minimum. A minimum. Um, and... You know, maybe there is a, a, another form of medicine out there that certainly can help slow down how aggressive the virus can be with certain people. I think we have to weigh as a society what we want to do and, and how much we're willing to risk. I mean, I see people outside in my community that are out there walking and they want to get out there and they want to move around. And while I think for the most part people are being pretty careful, uh, there are people out there that understand that you need to live your life. And, you know, two to three months down the road, hopefully we have, have, again, the curve is down a little further. And I think the economy at that point, at least for me, I'm hoping is back and people are back working. So from that standpoint, um, there may be a a little bit of that that safety net in terms of social distancing still, because I think that may just be the new norm. But I've got a hard time thinking, if you're going to open up the arena to people, that you're gonna have a situation where people aren't gonna be on top of one another. I just, I mean, how do you do that at a, yeah. at, a at a sporting event? Yeah. If that's the case, do you even yeah. want to enjoy going to a sporting event anymore? And I think yeah, maybe for a lot of people, no. Yeah, that's a balance that uh, yeah. you're gonna have to
1: have. Even going to a concert, you know? I, I'm a big music guy, I love going to concerts. We were at yeah. Billy Joel and Amy, Amelie Arena back in February, which, geez, that seems like it was a year ago at this point. I right. you know it's only been about two months um so yeah i mean that's something people are gonna have to balance i think seeing people in masks even a year from now is something that we're probably gonna have to be accustomed to seeing and and doing out in public and i know in my you know the few times that we've gone out to the store you know we were at a Publix the other day and i would say maybe a third of the people in there uh, customers were wearing masks and that's a low number to me you know we had ours i told you my dad found some uh, he used to be a painter so he found some Um, digging through some of his drawers, and so we're using those when we go out. And, um, you know, I'm not seeing enough people of it. So uh, interesting to see how this kind of moves forward um, here once we get on the other side of this, which hopefully is sooner rather than later. On the other side of this break, however, we have Luke Fox from sportsnet.ca, Uh, has some uh, interesting stories. We'll talk about the restricted free agent and one prominent Lightning player that made his list of top 10. We'll talk to Luke when we come back. Right after this, you're listening to Power Lunch right here on Lightning Power Play.
0: An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch with Greg Linnelli and Eric Erlinson on Lightning Power Play.
2: All right, it is Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Glad you're with us here as we start you with another edition of the show for this weekday. And uh, glad you're with us. Hit us up on Twitter at Greg Linnelli, at Eric underscore Erlinson. Lots to get to with our next guest. Good friend of the program, Luke Fox, from Sportsnet, had a a good article uh, not too long ago dealing with uh, the restricted free agents coming up and ranking them. Had a a lightning angle to it and uh, wanted to talk to Luke about that. But Luke... Uh, first off, buddy, great to hear from you. And um, how are things with you and yours? Everybody safe and sound?
0: Oh, things are pretty well, all things considered. Uh, just working away and uh, spending some time homeschooling my, my son, who's nine years old in grade four. So I'm, I'm brushing up on my long division as well. So I <laughs> guess that's one positive that's going to come of this, is I might be a little bit quicker and, uh, with my uh, division.
2: Yeah, I, I find, I've got to think, and I have a, a f- about to be four-year-old and a six-month-old, Luke, so I'm not there yet, but I have family who are teachers as well, and, you know, the whole process of online teaching and then parents having to teach, um, it, it almost feels like you're going to school for the second time, you know?
0: Oh, it, it really does. I'm just I'm just thankful he's only in grade four, because if, if he was in grade six or seven, I'm, I might be in trouble. <laughs>
1: Yeah, my kid's math passed me by about uh, sixth grade. Uh, It's like, forget it, you're going to have to ask your mom. She's she's a math person. She is actually a teacher. She teaches kindergarten. So uh, if you can imagine what she's having to do, teach kindergarten from home, uh, it is certainly a different uh, situation for all of us. Uh, my, other, my other kids are in high school, so they're very uh, adaptive to this technology that they've been able to use. Uh, but my wife, as I've mentioned more than a few times, uh, trying to teach five-year-olds via the camera on their computer uh, can be among more than, one of the more challenging things, other than being married to me, that my wife has experienced.
0: Yeah, my goodness, <laughs> I saw uh, my son Will's teacher, and she had a Zoom call with the entire class um just one day to, to kind of kick this off and they're all talking at once it was just mayhem uh it was pretty pretty funny to see
2: well you know it's interesting luke um before he jumps in here with a question luke fox from Sportsnet. that we talk about what's the new norm after this and you know we're just talking about teaching and teaching online you may have people working from home a bit more moving forward what do you think If and when play does resume, let's hope, hopefully for argument's sake, it's, it's this year and relatively soon. What are some of the things that are going to be the new norm, not only for the NHL, but you think sporting events in general?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be wild. Uh, It's hard to envision uh, things coming back like normal, you know, like with the flick of a, a light switch. I imagine if we do get hockey your basketball back it'll be in empty arenas with no fans and then uh, at what point do you gradually start bringing fans back and what kind of measures are taken at the gate um, I think it's going to present a lot of interesting questions for um, the people that run the, the rinks um, as well as the teams and uh, just talking to some players over conference calls and zoom calls the past couple weeks that idea of you know, jumping back into playoff hockey and the uh, the seats being completely empty will just be so surreal and so bizarre because all of my fondest memories when I think of covering or, or watching playoff hockey as a kid, you know, so much of that is the atmosphere. And so much of that is, you know, guys scoring a you know triple overtime winning goal or something and jumping into the class. And the fans banging on it, and the the building just rocking and being deafeningly loud. Uh, it, it's it's going to feel weird. Um, I I did catch a little bit of the WrestleMania um, that went on without fans, and I'm not even a wrestling fan, but I, I was I was just curious to see what it would look like, and it didn't feel the same. To be honest with you, like not even close. Uh, I I think we. Maybe we'll gain a new appreciation for how much uh, fandom matters in in our in our viewing experience, and in setting the tone when we're watching on TV.
1: What about in the scenario, Luke, of these neutral site uh, situations that the league has talked about? We've heard North Dakota, we've heard uh, Saskatchewan, New Hampshire, some other possibilities if it's in more of an intimate rink rather than these big eighteen, twenty thousand seat arenas that we're so used to with nhl games you know of course many of these players played in junior uh, in small crowds you know but the difference being no crowds if it's in that smaller atmosphere that smaller rink would that maybe change anything i'm sure you've been in plenty of those junior rinks during your day
0: yeah i have um and it, it might you know it might be it might be neat for them, um, you know, bringing hockey to places that don't normally have it. I, you know, from what I've heard, it would be several neutral sites and then maybe they're exploring the possibility of them bringing, bringing the, the winners together, kind of like March Madness, where you start at several several sites and then condense it um, for the, the semis or the final. But, uh, you know, I, I just feel like there's gonna be a lot of risk, even if you go to these less populated areas um there's just so much human interaction you know even if you lock down the players to like kind of an olympic village style housing and and try to monitor who's coming in and out with food and supplies once one person gets it uh you know hockey is such a you know it's such a contact sport within the teams they're all huddled in the same dressing room they use the same exercise equipment even if you're wiping everything down once, one once you get one positive test, I don't know how that can't, you know, shut everything down again. Um, so they, it, they're going to be extremely careful. I, I know they will. But there's this this push and pull of wanting to get sports back in any form or fashion by any means necessary uh, because of you know economics and because people are starved for something uh, live and, and fresh to watch on TV. Um, but there's that risk of coming back too soon. Uh, one positive test leads to two and, you know, you, you're forced your hand to shut down again. So it, it's a very, very tricky time.
1: Yeah, you were talking about, you know, playing in these little intimate rinks, uh, maybe kind of changing things up a little bit just in terms of at least it would be a different atmosphere since we already know it's not going to be the same atmosphere.
0: Yeah, it it'll be a di- different atmosphere, and you know, kind of a a unique experience. Uh, you know, and I, I several players that I've you know talked to or been on conference calls with is, are all for it. They they want to see it, some sort of conclusion to the season. I just believe there's a heavy risk reward um, kind of push and pull going on here because even if you go to a, a sparsely populated city um, one of these you know smaller locales if if anyone contacts the virus uh, one positive test could set things back so i just think they have to be extra precautious and they might even need to be a bit lucky um, in order to pull this off it's i think it's very wishful thinking unfortunately at this point and uh, i would love to see a conclusion to this season because it feels like you know we're 85 percent done about about there uh, most teams only have like a dozen games left and it's it's almost like you've you're, you're reading this amazing novel. Um, you only have th- two or three chapters to go and then someone plucks the the book out of your hand and you're not allowed to finish. It just feels a little bit empty and I, I would love to see this season finished even if that means pushing it back into fall. I'd rather see a truncated 2021 season than no Stanley Cup winner for 2020.
2: Well, look, I guess that's the question, too. In your eyes, when you look at this whole situation, what's going to be the signal to you that we should get the games going? Because it's pretty clear a vaccine won't be available for quite some time, even though there are some companies out there working very hard to make that happen. While the curve is lowering, we know there are hot spots in certain parts of the United States and elsewhere, but let's specifically talk about the States and, and Canada. That's why the neutral site might be interesting. But we know there's going to be some sort of risk involved regardless of fans to come out and participate, even if it's not in the stadium, as Eric pointed out in our previous segment, maybe hanging out outside the arena to take in the festivities. But for you, what would signal to you that games should be back ready to go because you're going to have some sort of fan participation one way or the other?
0: Well, it's hard to say anything short of a vaccine. Uh, I, I don't know what, what else you could you could say other than maybe not being first back, you know? It might have to be uh, another league. You let another league take the reins and see if baseball works. There's way more, you know, spacing within baseball. I mean, hockey, guys are sweating on top of each other. They're, they're breathing heavily right next to each other for every face-off. Uh, there's so much close contact, and it's encouraged. So, I, you know, I, I would say maybe seeing if baseball goes and if, if they have no problems, then maybe explore it. But uh, to be first back and to be such a sport with, you know, the, the participants are in such close contact with one another, uh, it's, it's a heavy risk. And, yeah, the payoff would be, you get the TV revenue um, from the playoffs. You get the HRR back up, and um, you know you, you gain a lot of viewers that are hungry for content. But the downside is you could run into the serious health and PR debacle of coming back too soon, and uh, a player or, or a coach or, or anyone uh, getting the virus. And it, it's just such a it's such a dangerous game to to play with until there's a vaccine.
1: Luke, do you worry about the the Pro Sports League, specifically here in North America, racing to try and be the first one back? And maybe that ends up being... Too soon. I mean, we already hear about some European soccer leagues. I know the Bundesliga is already back. Some of their players are training in small sessions, and they're away from each other, so it's not normal uh, sessions. But they are back out on the pitch kind of working together a little bit. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who are going to see how they handle things. Uh, but do you worry about the sports teams and the leagues in North America being rushed, trying to rush to be that first one to come back? Because we know that first one that comes back is going to have so much attention on them. There are going to be so many eyes peered in.
0: No, you're exactly right. Absolutely, and I do worry about that. I worry about it because you know I'm I I know there there's pressure from the highest level, right? President Trump called a, a, a call with with all the commissioners, and his message was pretty simple. It was, "We need you guys back as soon as possible." Uh, I do believe that you know the commissioners of these sports uh, are smart enough to to take their cues from health officials, and they're not going to put lives in jeopardy. They're going to make the best decisions based on the information they have at the time. Um, they're going to pr- tread pretty carefully into this. But even if you're, you know, 99% sure, there's still that risk. So uh, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting time. And I think, you know, as time goes on, the weeks go on, and the spread continues in, in North America, I think that, you know, I. Th- The general feeling when I talk to people um, around hockey is that they've become a little bit more pessimistic that this will be able to be saved and that we should even be concerned about fitting in a full 82 game slate for 2021, which is what um, Commissioner Bettman and uh, Bill Daly have said is is the goal that they, they don't want to touch next season, that the first casualty will be this season. So uh, you know it's, it's not the most optimistic times, but you know, as, as many have said, you know uh, sport hockey that they, they kind of take a back seat at this time and become uh, a much much lower down on the priority scale.
2: Let me ask you this, Luke, it's, it's a complex situation, and I don't think there's any right answer, but I think it is worth discussing. and I agree with you, I think getting a vaccine to the market, sooner rather than later would help ease, I think, a lot of people's minds. However, we know that's a process and may take a little time. Would you allow for some people to go back to work and try and get the economy back? Because we know if you keep things shut down till a vaccine is here, you're not gonna have a market. I mean, we're gonna, I think, suffer a, a huge depression. I mean, we've already seen the numbers here in the United States with people filing for unemployment um, that in and of itself, I think, probably has a longer-term effect than the virus in and of itself. And I'm somebody who was affected by the virus. My dad uh, came down with it back in Pittsburgh, and um, he had to fight it hard. He had that fever at about 100 degrees for 10 days, and it beat him up pretty good. Thank goodness he recovered and was in really good shape from the standpoint that physically he was able to battle it and didn't have any pre-existing conditions. But, you know, if we if we let this longer if we let the the economy continue to be what it is where everything is shut down you're not gonna have people have money to to go to hockey games regardless so do you i i know you know this but there there is almost that that fine line of when is it safe and at some point you probably do have to have your eye on when people can come back to work a to have disposable income and b just in general to get things going again so people feel good about themselves
0: well, yeah. First off, I'm glad your your dad pulled through, and I, you know, I'd love to hear what what he w- thinks about that. I mean, I mean, in my view, in the economy, employment, th- those type of things, you know, as important as they are, they have to come second to the health and well being of everyone and and people's safety. Uh, I think there's a lot of jobs where you can work from home. Obviously, not not all jobs and this has affected a lot of people's employment and, and you know income like you said to to spend on, on a ticket to go to a hockey game but that that point all becomes moot if uh, if health's not taken care of and that, in my mind that has to be the number one priority or else you're you're you know patching up the trying to solve one problem when the root of the issue isn't solved yet uh, so I, I don't even think it would be for the best um, for the economy if people rushed back when when things weren't safe and when there wasn't a vaccine and and the curve uh, wasn't wasn't lowered so I, I do I do think that still has to be the number one priority
1: as tough as it is for
0: a lot of people financially
1: from sportsnet.ca joined us here and Luke we alluded to a list you put together. Uh, a couple of weeks ago in regards to the top restricted free agents uh, looking ahead to whenever the 2021 mm. season does uh, start to get uh, put um, in into play. And we know that last year was the year of the restricted free agent. There were so many players. We actually did see an offer sheet um, to uh, S- Sebastian Ajo um, that, that Montreal did. But of the players heading into this year, you, you did put the list together. And uh, number two, which would be a very – interest to lighting fans, uh, Anthony Sorelli. Uh, why is he so high on your list and how much of a challenge, especially now since best case scenario, the cap is flat. Uh, does this present a challenge for Julian Breezeball?
0: Yeah, it's a, you know, uh, another challenge for me. Just got over um, the Braden point hurdle and he'll be staring at another tricky off season. Anthony, Anthony Sorelli for me has been, Just an absolutely phenomenal find. I mean, we keep bringing these young guys up, um, getting so many good shifts out of them um, when they're on their entry-level deals and and they're a bargain, and it's time for for a big raise. I mean, the fact that he goes head-to-head against so uh, many of the uh, opposition's top centers and has still been able to contribute offensively, log ice time beyond his years, and uh, even garner a a little bit of consideration. Uh, I don't think he'll win it, but he at least entered the conversation for the Selkie, and I was actually kind of taking a look at my ballot recently, and and he's on it. He's not the top, but he's on it. And one of the things that really stands out to me is that among all the forwards in the NHL, he ranks fifth in in penalty-killing ice time at nearly three minutes per game on average. And every one of the other... Uh, forwards in the top five are over the age of 30. And this is a kid playing those type of big minutes. And the very last game that that we did have, Tampa was in Toronto and John Cooper was asked about Sorelli. And he said, you know, the Selkies kind of uh, one of those trophies where you got to hang around and and be in the league for a long time. But he said, this is a young man's league. You know, you see guys in their early 20s uh, vying for the heart. Um, you know, being in even in the conversation for the, the Norris on the outside, uh, you know, young stars are taking over the league offensively. So, why can't young stars start to take over the league defensively as well? And I think it's it's really a two way game that that made me place him so high up on the ladder of, of when I was making my list, just one rung below uh, the Islanders, Matthew Barzell.
2: Luke Fox joins us here on the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. It was a fun question. You mentioned John Cooper there. Uh, Luke, when we talk about the Lightning being close to winning a cup, we're replaying actually on 95.3 WD, our local radio station here, and on these airwaves, uh, the 2015 playoffs where uh, the Lightning were pretty close to winning a Stanley Cup. I wonder for you, whose legacy receives a bigger boost if they do win a cup? John Cooper or Steven Stamkos? Stamko's A borderline Hall of Famer, he keeps it up. His numbers, I think he's going to be in. If he wins a cup, I'm not sure if that elevates his status a bit more in terms of how we see him with the greats of the game. But I always felt like talking to national guys, even locally here too, with John Cooper, the opinion of him is very high, and that if he were to win a cup, I wouldn't be surprised if there were a lot of people that have him number one uh, in terms of being the best head coach in the league, do you get that sense as well? And who do you think would receive a bigger boost if Tampa Bay was able to win a Stanley Cup, whenever that may be?
0: Yeah, no, and I mean they they were one of the front runners in, until we hit pause for sure. The, their game had really rounded into form. Uh, that's a great question, and I think obviously both of them would. I, th- I think you know Victor Hedman's legacy would Vasilevsky's as well. There's a, there's a lot of uh, members of that franchise that that would see their how they're viewed historically, you know, elevated because the cup ring is everything. For me, I think it, it, you know, maybe I would give it to Stamkos by a hair just because I think those of us who aren't, you know, in the trenches following the game day to day, just place players on a bit of a higher pedestal and think about their legacy and their reputation a little bit more. Uh, The fact that, Steven Samkos had the, you know, the the that one year where he scored sixty goals. He had a chance to leave Tampa for for more money, um, at least cap hit wise, and he chose to stay uh, and said, "No, this I want to stay. Be this captain of this team. I'm going to set the tone for uh, guys that come after me to sign for a little bit less because they want to be part of a winning organization. The fact he has a C on his chest, the fact that. You know, it seems every second year he's dealt some horrible bad luck injury and just, you know, puts on the blinders and just grinds away in rehab and gets himself ready to, to compete again. And, and um, the fact that, you know, he's the kind of guy that stands up in the dressing room and calls the team out when things aren't going right the way he did, I think it was in, in October. I think it was after a, I think it was a Carolina game. He's like, you know, he, he kind of sent a wake-up call to the team. Um and, I, and I, I'm a big John Cooper fan. I just think that when we talk about legacy, the image we have is is that captain hoisting the Stanley Cup. I mean, you guys have a statue of one outside your building. So I, I think it, his legacy will be the one that, that will come first to mind. And then when we dig a little deep bit deeper, we'll get into the coaching staff. Because, uh, you know, John Cooper's done a fabulous job. And he's spoken often about uh, how, you know, last offseason just kind of really, really kind of tore him apart. And the fact that he was able to to lead this team back into contention again and and kind of put that debacle of the Blue Jackets sweep behind them is a a testament to just how good of a coach he is.
1: Luke, last question from my end here. Uh, I mentioned how the the salary cap in the best-case scenario under these circumstances remains flat. For next year, we know it's going to have a huge impact on what Julian Breesball has to do. You're based in Toronto. You're around the Leafs a lot. What's that going to do for the Leafs, you know, a potential first-round opponent, and who knows how many times they might meet uh, in, in the next couple of years with how good both these teams are? What does a flat cap do for a team like Toronto that already has so much money tied up in, in the big three and Tavares, Matthews, and uh, Marner?
0: Yeah, and Nylander is, is just a shade under seven million. So, no team invests more uh, in their forward core than Toronto. It's it's really lopsided lopsided how they how they've balanced the books in terms of investing so much in these young, dynamic, exciting forwards, and they and they're all living up to their their money. You you could argue individually they they've all had nice years. Uh, it's just a, a really unique approach to to kind of scrimp and save on the blue line uh, and and invest so much in forwards, So the big challenge for them will be be defense. Uh, Right now they only have two, you know, solid bona fide NHLers on the back end under contract in Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin, who who was heading towards free agency, but they just re-upped him right on trade deadline day. Uh, They have an emerging Guy who's, who's kind of overachieved, the late bloomer and Justin Hall, uh, who's played some nice minutes. But beyond that, they're, they're ready to see guys walk out the door. There's, there's no indication that they want to re sign Cody C.C. or Tyson Berry, both UFA. Um, they probably will want to keep Travis Dermott, who's a restricted free agent but needs a raise. And then they're going to be banking on young guys like Rasmus Sandine and Timothy Lilligren to play big minutes. Uh, And these are these are fine prospects and and fine guys, fine young players on the come up. But the it's a big question mark whether they're actually ready um, to log, you know, top four, top five minutes. So they're going to have to find some money to or make a trade to fill in the gaps and find some more veteran defensemen. And that'll be the the massive challenge, especially with the flattened cap, because they're right up against it like the lightning. And we're one of those teams that was kind of banking on that, that that. Uh, high-end going up.
2: Luke, last question for me, bud, and uh, again, we always appreciate your time on these airwaves. I I know I kind of hinted at it at the beginning of uh, some things you think the league will look like when they do come back, but I'll just ask you, because Eric and I, we've talked about some things, thinking outside the box, that a lot of sports leagues are going to have to do, I think, to survive and to bring people in or maybe make the game a little more interesting with Whether it's marketing, whether it's rule changes, whatever it is, uh, I think the league now has the reins and the opportunity to be free thinkers and to find ways to be a little bit more creative to make their game more marketable. Do you have anything off the top of your head that you'd like to see done uh, or things they need to do coming off something like this that you think could be a a change that's, that's welcomed?
0: Well, I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing ticket prices go a bit lower um, because, as we talked about earlier in, in the program, so many fans will be in uh, up against it financially and, and households. I, I'd like to see ticket prices go down a little bit as, as kind of a nod to fans to that they've been loyal throughout this and hopefully get more guy, people back in the building. The other thing um, from a on ice perspective, I I think it would be kind of cool to introduce a wild card, open it up, even if it's just for, for one year, just experiment with that, bring a little intrigue, uh, get more fan bases involved and maybe have a, a one or or one or three game playoff from the teams that are the wild card teams that are on the bubble, get more than 16 teams involved in the playoffs. Um, Just, you know, try something new because uh, I, I agree with you. I, I like that idea of, of you know, throwing something at the wall, experimenting a little bit, creating um, some extra buzz or excitement coming out of this by adding a new wrinkle. And I think the playoff format could be one of those areas where they look at.
2: Well, look, great job, buddy, as always. Stay safe out there. Keep doing what you do. And hopefully maybe next time we talk, we are talking about uh, this season. If not, um, I'm sure we'll be talking about other things as well. But we appreciate your time, buddy, and um, stay safe out there. Again,
0: yeah, stay safe. Thanks for having me on, and all the best to your to your father, Greg.
2: Thanks, Luke. Appreciate, appreciate your that, time. Buddy. Thank okay, you. Thanks that for is Luke me. Fox. Check check out his work at Sportsnet. Does great work there, and uh, Eve, that's certainly a a picture that I think a lot of people have painted. That. Um, You know, getting that vaccine is um, probably the deal breaker for some to resume activities, and you certainly respect those people, but I I think as a society, as a country, uh, we have to walk that line of, you know, what risk are you going to take to get people back to work? Because I think at the end of the day, that is going to be the biggest conversation with this virus. It's uh, no doubt, I think it will be contained. If not, it's already being contained, but... When do you want to go back to work? Because I think if you ask a lot of people, particularly small business owners, you know, they want to get back to work two weeks ago because of the financial situation they're in and the damage it's doing to their, their business and, and where they are right now. But you certainly understand um, it's not going to be the same hustle and bustle probably we were used to when this thing hits. And you just wonder what changes society-wise and professionally when you go to games what changes are, are going to be made? Yep. So many unanswered questions. Uh,
1: so many things to hopefully look forward to, to be able to answer those questions, right? Because is it mask? Is it, uh, I mean, is the, we've talked about it, is the handshake, a thing of the past, you know, we all going to be like Japan now and bow our heads to greet people as opposed to, you know, shaking hands or even fist pumps or uh, anything like that. I mean, think about sports high fives are such a ingrained part of, of sports, is, is that done? Is that over with? Um, you know, the, the smack on the backside, which we see so often, is, is that out of the question now and, and trying to limit as much contact? I No, I guess there's just so many unanswered questions that uh, hopefully we f- start to find some answers here in the coming days because uh, it's – I was just looking. It's been a month. We are a month and a day past when the NHL went on pause, and uh, it just – it feels – uh, like a year, and I think uh, summed it up the best way I saw somebody say that uh, 2020 is the strangest leap year out there. There's 29 days in February, there's 300 days in March, and there's five years in April.
2: That is interesting. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels well, that way at times. You, ma- you yeah. mentioned I mean, think about it just from an emotional and mental yeah. standpoint. I mean, I I sometimes get lost with the days. You know, you're trying to get into a routine, but what's fascinating about this is just what are the after effects of this when we talk about our everyday life? I was telling my wife the other day when we were on a walk. I mean, just going to work is gonna be, it's gonna feel different for people. I I think it's gonna be a welcomed addition because you're gonna wanna get out of the house and probably see your coworkers who you've been talking to through FaceTime or Zoom or whatever. But I mean, you get bottled up and you forget what it's like sometimes to just go out there and interact with people. It's just truly fascinating.
1: Yeah, and to, to, to show you where my, my mind is at times, and maybe this is as much to getting older than anything else, I did something this weekend that I've never had happen to me before. I lost my driver's license. As crazy as that sounds, okay. considering how little I go outside the house and how much my wallet you know, goes outside the house, but I I had a check that I had to get into the bank, and it's not my normal bank, I have to have a second account because it's uh, it's freelance checks from the Hockey News, so they're from a Canadian bank. So I'm through the drive-through teller and uh, get to the grocery store and I look at my wallet, I-, I don't have my driver's license and I don't have my debit card, and call the bank, can't find it, turn my van inside out, can't find it. Uh, it's just strange that at this time, at this point in time where I'm hardly going out the house maybe once a week, I end up losing my driver's license.
2: That'd be tough, although now today you can get it via online, which yep. is nice. I mean, they almost have to which in this I've already particular done. instance. But, I mean, that that's another after effect of all of this. I mean, how many things are going to be made available to you online if they already weren't yep. just for the convenience of your house and other businesses having to survive because of, you know, social distancing? So, yeah, that's that's old H2E, not knowing where things are. <laughs> yes, th- thank you for that reminder.
1: Which... <laughs> <laughs> Which, because of my age, I need more reminders than usual.
2: <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm getting there, buddy. I'm getting there. There are days I'm kind of like, did I just say that? Did I just do that? And, uh, yeah, sometimes <sighs> sometimes it happens. So, well, what are you going to do? But we appreciate Luke who joined us there in the previous segment. If you want to get involved in any of the conversation, please do. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio, and we will certainly get those questions on the air. We'll come back, wrap things up. He's Eric Rollinson. I'm Greg Winelli. It is the Power Lunch right here on Lightning Power Play.
1: The hockey world might be on pause, but Eric Erlinson and Greg Lanelli aren't. This is Power Lunch,
0: exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All
1: right, welcome back to Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. This Monday, April the 13th edition of the show. I am Eric Erlinson. He is Greg Lanelli, and hopefully you enjoyed that conversation with Luke Fox. A very uh, insightful, as always, Luke is. I know he's a regular on your show, Greg. And uh, one aspect we didn't get into with Luke in his list of the top restricted free agents. The Lightning actually have two in his top ten as Mikhail Sergachev landed yeah. on this list as well. Uh, we didn't get into it with Luke. But uh, I think that has to be a concern even more so than maybe it was before. As we mentioned, it, uh, at, this, at this rate, the best case scenario is a flat cap for the NHL looking into next season to be able to get him re-signed to a contract that makes sense. Uh, We still see the ceiling continuing to rise for Sergeyev, and certainly he's taken a different step, a, a much bigger step forward in his development this year. Uh, it's, to me, Sorelli and, and Sergachev are going to be very, I think, difficult negotiations moving forward uh, with on top of knowing that you're going to have to depart with uh, probably at least a couple of players to make it all work.
2: Yeah. And this is really the question we've had this discussion on this show e in our own individual uh, shows is, is who do you think is going to command more? Um, and if you were to rank the, the restricted free agents in the order of importance, who would it be? I, I think the Sorelli-Sergachev keeps going back and forth because I think it's a tribute to them how good they've been. You probably would go a little bit more Sergachev because of the position he plays, and it's just there are fewer elite defensemen out there. And I think you and I both believe, while well, both players I think are going to be elite in their own right and what they're asked to do. I think Sergachev has the ability to be dynamic on both ends of the ice. I think Sorelli has a chance to be really good offensively and be very, very disruptive defensively. But I think Sergachev has a chance to be dynamic, and I think there is a slight difference when we start talking about the impact that they can have on the back end. It's also going to be, you know, what's important to these guys? I mean, here's the thing. We are living in a world where economically things aren't very good right now. Yep. And we always talk about players wanting to get theirs in every negotiation because, E, you only have X amount of years to get it. The salary cap could be coming down from here on out. I can't blame a Sergachev or a Sorelli or whomever if they're trying to hold out for that last possible dollar. There is something to be said for the Lightning organization the way they do business. And I have every faith that they're going to go out there and give these guys what they think they're owed. But I also know the other side of that is at this particular time with where we are you can't fault an athlete for wanting to get as much as possible and I think that is the real question mark what do these guys want and how much are they willing not to hold out but to you know fight for what they believe is theirs
1: Yeah it'll be interesting too if players and teams are more willing to go short-term deals In these situations, like maybe in one or two year deals, because we don't know what the economic uh, economic impact is going to be, you know, down the line and and what it means, especially if the cap goes down. Are they more willing uh, if you believe that there could be a strong rebound and there's the balance that you always take. But in in this case, in particular, do you believe that the the economics will bounce back and pro sports will get back to the level that they were at? Or are you concerned about it going down? And, and there's a big balance there in in what teams and players are probably going to be willing to do. And it's probably even a bigger gap because the players are going to want the long-term security, and the teams are going to want you know a little bit more understanding of how things are going to work moving forward. So uh, I don't wonder if we might see more shorter-term deals just to kind of see how this all plays out, as opposed to you know I mean both Sergeyev and Sorelli would be eligible to sign eight-year deals under the current parameters. Of the collective bargaining agreement, um, but would they be willing to take a short term and banking on the e- uh, e- economics coming back, or would they try and gain as much as they can, you know, because of that uncertainty as well? Interesting well, times, you know. We all we knew that. There and was you bring up be... a good
2: point. Well, go ahead because I, I think you bring up a good point because the, nobody knows, and that's why I think do you bargain harder for those yeah. contracts now, knowing that like look. Six months ago, we, we, didn't, we didn't think something like this was possible. No. And so I hope fans out there understand that if a player is looking for every last dollar, you can't blame them. And that's why I've made it such a point on this show and just talking with friends that I think we have to understand and be sympathetic to, yes, you want a vaccine and you want people to feel safe, but you also know that this this country, among others, obviously, but especially this one who produces so much and consumes so much, you can't just halt an economy for three months and expect there not to be long-term effects, not only economically, obviously, but emotionally as well. And I think we're going to have to, as a society, weigh that risk of coming back getting things up and running, also understanding that there is still a risk out there. There there always will be. But weighing that risk in hopes of getting the economy starting and getting families back to where they feel better, because I think that's going to take a lot of time, getting back to the restricted free agent conversation. These guys want to hold out for as much as they can. I can't fault them because we just, you never know, and I think this year has shown us, you don't. Yeah, I never fault players, you know, trying to
1: gain as much leverage as they can in in contract negotiations. It's because that's what it is. It's a negotiation. You put a value on yourself, and a team puts a value on you, and you're trying to find, you know, the area between that. Well, I can be irrational too. Just ask my wife. Um, But yeah, from a rational standpoint, that's that's, (laughs) you know, that's that's kind of how you have to look at this. But. Yeah. you know i it it's such interesting times on so many levels and this is minor in comparison to where you know real life is it's sports is not always real life it's entertainment and it's fun and we love it um but from that standpoint i mean the lightning we're already up against issues heading into this summer or this off season we can't even call it the summer anymore this off season whenever it happens to come that yeah. this now puts an even more interesting and more difficult situation for Julian Priesbois and his staff to find a way to try and keep players intact, you know, on whatever type
2: of hockey we have on the other side. Yep. It's a good point. And uh, it's something that will continue to be debated, not only in the sports world, but uh, just in general, which is why so many people have question marks when it comes to reopening sports leagues. And I think the economy in general, all that's going to wrap it up for us today. What do we got tomorrow? We have Aaron Portsline.
1: Uh, week. Yeah, Orm- Aaron yeah. Portsline is scheduled to join us uh, tomorrow from The Athletic in Ohio. Uh, I guess it's The Athletic Cleveland. It's technically what it is, but obviously... Long time. He's covered the Blue Jackets since their inception uh, way back when, so we'll get some of his thoughts. Uh, The Columbus Blue Jackets crowd has been uh, reliving last year's playoffs. Uh, As much as we don't want to think about it, they're certainly relishing uh, what happened last year. So they were replaying those games, so it's been a year since that happened. Uh, I'm interested to hear Aaron's take on this dual ice situation they have at Nationwide Arena and what that might mean uh, as a potential neutral site uh, situation for some games as well. So uh, Aaron Portsline scheduled tomorrow. We have Paul Kennedy from Fox Sports Sun scheduled to join us on Wednesday. And Adam Hall, former Lightning player, is penciled in for Thursday.
2: Should be a lot of fun, and we hope you stay with us for the duration. We've got tomorrow game two of the uh, 2015 playoff matchup between the Lightning and Canadians that was in round two and Tampa Bay up 1-0, so make sure you stay tuned for that. E and I will be providing some commentary in between the periods. Dave Mishkin will join me in the pregame as we give you live analysis throughout a game that's already been decided, so it should be a lot of fun. Again, that's at 7 o'clock on 95.3 WDE and Lightning Power Play, so make sure you stay tuned for that. E, great job as always, buddy. Steve Versnick as well. We will do it again tomorrow. It has been the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.